In times of crisis, the need for good leadership, for servant-hearted leadership, is greater than ever. And this is leadership based on both character and skills. Character which is seen in empathy, integrity, perseverance, and skills in understanding the needs of people around you, developing strategy and then communicating it well. InnoVista exists to grow life-changing leadership in hard-to-reach and unlikely places, the places where the need for good leadership is as great as ever. Today, we're going to hear from InnoVista's founder and international director, Jason Lane. Recently, he was interviewed by Carlos at Widcombe Baptist Church for their podcast, and they very kindly agreed that we can share their recording with you too. Jason speaks about his journey, which led to the creation of InnoVista, the skills which are so important for good leadership, and the leadership characteristics that are needed in the era of coronavirus. He lands on three key points at the end. The need for leaders to be attentive to the Holy Spirit's leading. The importance of creativity in finding innovative solutions to address current problems. And the need for leaders to be courageous in trying new things to change their communities with the hope of Jesus. I hope you're encouraged as together we listen to Carlos and Jason talking about leadership in difficult times and places. Now I'm going to take sort of the clock back uh, into your you know, youth years and how, how did you come to Bath and, and Whitcomb as a student? How, how did that happen? So I, I grew up in South Wales uh, and uh, decided to pursue a, a degree in some, some area of management and, and the University of Bath kept popping up as one of the, the really good places to go. So long story short, <laughs> I came to Bath to study um, business management and uh, found my church home at Whitcomb uh, almost 25 years ago. Jason is still very young, by the way, so don't, don't sort of... <laughs> That's very kind, thank you. <laughs> um, now, once you were in the church, I still remember you with, a, with an eagerness to serve and to do things in a slightly different way. So can you tell us a little bit how, how did you feel the call from the Lord? What, what happened? Um, I, th- I think it goes it goes back to my my experience in a local church in in Cardiff. So I, I was um, sort of brought up in a in a Christian home, um, and my experience growing up was uh, that church was just very strange, but Jesus was amazing. <laughs> struggled to put those two together, um, and in the end, didn't think I could. So I bailed on the church at about sixteen. Um, when a friend of mine came to living faith. So I had this friend of mine changing before my eyes and he kept telling me it was Jesus and I couldn't do church. Um, Anyway, long story short, sort of a year and a half struggle for me. I came to faith, decided I'd have to figure out the church thing um, and and went to the elders of the church that I'd grown up in and said, look, this this is the best news ever. We've got to be out and about telling other people sharing faith practically, serving practically. And they went away and had a meeting which took two months. And at the end of the meeting, they told me I couldn't do it because I was too young. Um, <laughs> I actually look back on that experience as, as the start of what I'm doing now. Um, I think that was the beginning of my 
emerging passion to raise leaders, especially young leaders, and, and um, those who are at least thinking about not new ways of doing things, because I think most things have been done, but ways that connect with whatever context we find ourselves in. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that was the I think that that challenging experience was the start. And, and it, it did happen that at the same time, or very soon after your conversion, that you had that sort of feeling. Yeah, certainly the beginnings of it. So I, I, um, you know, I, I came to faith, and and the change that I experienced was was very clear and and pretty quick, and and it was it just made total sense to me that we had to share this with everyone in in whatever ways were were helpful um and and the, you know i i expected that to be primarily in the context of the marketplace i i went to university to do business as i said and expected to do something in that direction which i did for a, a short time in in the sort of human resources area um but then through a through a whole load of circumstances and and leadings from God, I sensed a call in a in a different direction. So, I um, I finished my degree in Bath and then did a year in student ministry, still in Bath, and then I that developed into a, a UK role that I did um, based mostly from here in Oxford, um, and then a couple of years later that that became an international role, and then Innovista was born um, a few years after that. So it, it sort of emerged step by step. I, I, um, I don't think I had a big grand plan. I, in fact, I'm sure I didn't, um, but it's been in a step by step um, process. That is wonderful, isn't it? Because we could think we have a plan, but actually it's God who is, who is marking the way as we, as we go along and yeah. not always revealing everything from the first day. But I do remember you, as a very, very innovative and very challenging young man, which actually touched me, because you probably ran the first non-evangelistic music concert in the church where you made a public announcement that everyone, do you remember that? <laughs> I, I remember some of the concerts. <laughs> yeah, so I remember that, and it was a real success, and, and we, we really loved it, and we were a young couple in Wickham in those days. But going back, um, so you are now the international director of this Christian organization called Innovista. So could you tell us um, how many years has Innovista been, been working now? Yeah, so 20 years this year. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, and how, many, how many staff do you have? Directly? So we have yeah, we have 30, 30 full-time staff in, in um, seven countries. Mm -hmm. We've got long-term ongoing work in seven countries. We work regularly into another seven. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been growing steadily over the last, um, you know, the last 20 years. Uh, I don't know how much you can say about this, but let's say, can you mention some of those countries? I know some of them are very open and easy to work in, and some of them are quite um, hostile to the gospel. So can you mention some of those countries? Sure, yeah. So we, we work in, in places that are, we sort of describe as, as difficult and unlikely um, and the difficulty can can be for a range of reasons, but but a number of them are are um, places where Christians are um, either persecuted or facing significant um, opposition. 
So those would, those would include the countries of the Central Asian Republics, countries like um, Tajikistan and others, um, where, for example, in Tajikistan, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, it is illegal to take your own children to church. Um, so that's, you know, that's an example of the kind of systemic challenges that, that um, Jesus followers face. And, and in some of the other countries we, we work in, in that region, um, the difficulties are substantially more severe than that. So um, Christians in some countries are fined if they're caught in position, possession of, a, of any Christian literature, and a fine would be the equivalent of three to six months wages. Uh, so this isn't a small amount of money. Um, uh, in, in a couple of places, Christians are fairly regularly um, put in prison. Um, leaders are watched uh, all the time, so um, gatherings are, are not what we would normally consider gatherings. They're, they're very small, um, and in one particular area, Christians literally meet in pairs, and that's it. Um, so other places we work in face face less obvious challenges. Um, so we've been working in Ukraine for a long time. In the last couple of years, we started working in Moldova, which um, has religious freedom, but is ravaged by poverty. So Moldova is the poorest country in Europe. Um, I saw some statistics just a couple of days ago um, showing that in certain regions of Moldova, less than um, 20% of people have access to running water. And that's, uh, that's a couple of hours flight time away so um a lot of a lot of challenges in the places we work and that's why we're in those places because we um we figure that we can have more impact there mm -hmm. I, I, I mean first of all congratulations on your website and i encourage everybody to look at the innovista.org innovista with double n by the way because i sometimes forget the end but um you've got a fantastic website very informative and, and very deep so you can find a lot of information there if you miss something during this interview. I encourage everybody who's listening to, to link into that. But um, you also work in, in Ireland and you also work in, in Oxford. So tell us a little bit what kind of work would you do in, in Ireland and, and Oxford that, that is uh, interesting to hear about. Yeah, so so the, the heart of our work is, is leadership development. So we, we identify and equip leaders who take the hope of Jesus to those around them um, to see their communities changed. So mission in, in word and action. Um, and we're very committed to the principle of, of contextualized mission. So it's not, it's not one size fits all. Our work is led by um, indigenous staff in all the places that we work in. So they set the, the approach nationally, but our, our work is fundamentally one of training and equipping um, leaders. Um, and the focus of that tends to vary place by place, depending on the needs of the context. So um, one of the things that I work in Ireland and, and in, a, in the, the UK has, is that we've, we're focused on, on areas of disadvantage. So um, here in Oxford, you know, the, um, most people see Oxford in their minds and they, they see the dreaming spires and, um, a lot of wealth and, and prosperity and most people don't know that there are areas of the city that are long-term deprived where there's very significant economic social um, deprivation that's been 
here for a very long time. Um, so we, we felt very strongly um, about 10 years ago that our work in the UK should be focused in those kinds of contexts where resources are much less, where the church historically, and certainly in, in recent, relatively recent times, has been relatively um, uh, unengaged. Um, that is beginning to change, but, but certainly if you look at the, at the last few decades, the church has, has not grown um, in areas of disadvantage any, anywhere like it has in, in middle-class areas. So we felt that it was very clear to us that we should be in those places. So we're working um, on, on three of the, the estates in Oxford that are the most disadvantaged, working in partnerships with local churches um, to reach particularly young people and then to, to see them become um, followers of Jesus, to access um, new opportunities um, and then in time to become leaders themselves and, and be agents of change where they are. So we've been doing that um, steadily for the last 10 years, trying to figure out how to do it well. And we're, we're right now, one of the things we're working on for the next sort of the next phase is, is how, to, how to multiply this model into lots of new locations. Um, and that'll be outside of Oxford, um, heading probably into the southwest of England, um, as far down as, uh, as Cornwall. So um, we're excited about the opportunities there. Well, you share in common some of the vision of the greatest um, uh, preachers of the time in the revivals, isn't it? The Wesleys and so on, that started with the working classes and people in the suburbs of many of the big cities, that the need was enormous. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, now, tell me a little bit, how, how do you prepare the, these young leaders, with, as you said, within the context of the countries that they're in? How, what do you do for them? What do you prepare them? What do you... What do you actually do for them? Yeah, so we we have a range of a range of things we do. Um, we have some, I guess, I guess what most people would, would refer to as training programs. So these are these are developmental experiences that happen over a period of time, where typically we would work with a, a, a team. Ideally, we work with leadership teams because we think leadership in Scripture, certainly in the New Testament, is is team based. Um, leadership is plural and we think it's healthier that way so our ideal is to work with teams um, sometimes we work with with pioneers um, because they're the only ones there and and when we do that one of the first things we we normally help them with is how to build and lead a team um, so we'll work with leaders often for an 18-month period basically helping them put in place what we would consider to be the fundamentals of mission or leadership. So we would look in, we would explore things like, um, you know, what is the mission of God? Always start with the mission of God because that's, that's who and what we serve. Um, and, and our identity in relation to, to God and his mission in the world. Um, and then um, try and combine both development of character and skills because you really need both. Um, and I, I think sometimes in our in our eagerness to rightly emphasize servant leadership, we've sometimes lost sight of the fact that servant leaders serve more effectively if, if they really have some well-developed skills. Um, and, and I've experienced a whole lot of mess, um, basically as, as a result of leaders not having the skills they need. So 
we, we try and put character and skills together and we'll help um, people build and, and lead teams. We'll look at um, critical areas like strategy. So how do you how do you not only develop a vision but figure out how you could possibly see that vision become reality over a period of time? Um, stewardship. How, how do you how do you know whether you're effectively stewarding the resources that God has entrusted to you? Um, and and some other questions. So we walk with people over time, um, and critically, um, our training is very practical. So we. Over this 18-month program, for example, we would have leaders together probably seven or eight times for one day at a time, and then they will go away with a clear plan of action. Uh, they would run that for a month, and then they'd come back together, share what they've learned, and then we work on the next part. So it's, it's very strongly applied, uh, and we're very clear that we're not um, – leadership can't just be taught in a classroom it, it's about learning in, in practice and, and with careful reflection. Um, and then other things you, you, um, you will have heard of. So we do, we use coaching quite a lot. That's a very useful, very useful tool. Um, and it's been very important in this con pandemic context. Um, and then long-term mentoring as well. So a whole range of tools. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how, how has the pandemic affected the work? Has it slowed down? Has it developed different strategies mm. i've seen some really good examples of service for example ukrainian parts members of the team driving the national health workers to hospital because they the the commuting system the, the buses or whatever not really appropriate so they've been offering their services what other things have been happening at this time in the teams overseas yeah um that's a that's a complicated question it's a very good question uh, and it's complicated because the the state of, of um, the pandemic in, in each of the countries we work in is very different, even today. So um, in, in Ukraine, for example, it would be quite similar to the UK in that restrictions are now being reduced. Um, and um, I, th I think churches can, can now gather in small numbers as well. Um, but in, in the Central Asian countries, um, it is still total lockdown, and one of them only started that a few weeks ago. Um, so it's, it varies enormously from place to place. Um, and, and I think we've seen, we've seen a range of responses from leaders and, and therefore from the churches that they serve from absolute paralysis, not, not having an, a clue what to do, um, to very creative service. Uh, like the example you just gave, Carlos. Um, I was talking to um, the lady who leads our work in Moldova last week, and she told me that there'd been a, a collective effort from some of the churches in the country to see the stories of Jesus followers put online, so testimony, um, really well crafted, thoughtfully presented. Um, and she'd been one of the um, one of the people who had had their story filmed and 25,000 people had watched this wow. and people had been in touch wanting to join online alpha courses and all kinds of other things. Right. Uh, uh, in Moldova as well, there's been a, a very significant effort to um, provide food for vulnerable families across the country. Mm -hmm. We work quite closely with um, OM in Moldova um, and they've done a tremendous job um, getting food and, and, 
critical supplies to to a lot of families who wouldn't be eating without the support they're getting. So there's been a lot of of practical um, service, and then of course a lot of challenges as people have, have just tried to figure out what what they can do um, in Russia. Um, there was a there was a big push for volunteers, but that turned out to be quite highly politicised. Uh, so that was a real challenge for some of the um, some of the churches in terms of you know could they be involved? If so, how? So it, it's it's not simple. Um, uh, and it's, it's not simple in any of the countries that we live in, isn't it? The <laughs> that we have and the wealth that we have. Um, yeah. I think we're running out of time, so I want to ask you. Two final things. One is, what is your special prayer for yourself and Inovista for the future? What is your vision where you would like you know, the way to, to go? And the second thing, any, any prayer pointers that you can, can ask us to pray as a church and how we can support you in prayer and any other way as well, of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, so what we're, what we're trying to do now for the next... I think probably for the next six months is is work particularly with with innovative leaders who are grappling with the the questions of of what what should we learn about mission and the way we do mission as a result of this pandemic um, and those those leaders are small in number but very very important because they'll be the ones who will lead um, healthy change you know fruitful change. So we're going to focus on those leaders in the next six months, especially gathering them in small groups um, online, mostly um, to facilitate their um, discovery of new or different ways of, of doing mission in this sort of um, COVID era. Um, so I'd really appreciate prayers for, for us as we put that process together, but more importantly for the leaders that we're serving for courage and creativity and um, those have been the two things that i've found myself praying for more than anything courage and creativity i think we all need it um leaders do especially um i i think it would be a tragedy if if we went back to business as usual meaning business um before this happened if if we can't learn something as a result and do things differently then i think we've i think we've missed something very important um, so I think our prayer for, for each other and for leaders should be that we're attentive to the leading of the Spirit, um, creative in what we imagine, and courageous in, in pioneering different ways of serving. Um, and I'd, I'd appreciate that prayer for, for myself as well. Um, Innovista is just coming to an end of a sort of five-year um, strategic period if you like um, and one of my jobs this year was to to lead the team through a process of thinking what the next five years looks like um, and and thinking about five years right now is just not possible um, <laughs> the, world, the world's changed so much five years, you know is probably now about three months um, so nevertheless we've got to think about what we've learned, what we're learning, and, and how we do what we do differently as well. Um, and uh, I'm going to be turning my attention to that in the next the next couple of weeks as well. So um, appreciate your prayer for that. Thank you. 
Well, I just want to finish with, with prayer for yourselves and for these points that you just raised. Again, I want to encourage anybody who's listening to go to your website. There is a lot of ways to support you in prayer and learning about Innovista and also financial support because all these people need you know, the day-to-day support from Christians all over the world in financial terms as well. So I, I will encourage you to go there.